Welcome back to Who's Talking. He owns one of the largest cable network portfolios in the industry. And his 2018 purchase of the Weather Channel made him the first African-American to own a 24-hour mainstream news network. But this one-time stand-up comic says he's got a much bigger goal. You've had a few clunkers in recent years. You think? That's not perception. That's reality. Life feeling stronger than ever now in my life. How would you rate yourself as a chef? Why, I'm not doing that with you, Christopher Wilder. Byron Allen, welcome. Delighted to have you come, and thanks so much for uh, talking with us. Ah, Chris, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. All right, let's start in 1979. Yeah. You're 18 years old. You're still in high school, and this <laughs> is what you're up to. I'm on the team with my best friend, right? My best friend is like half black, half Jewish. <laughs> Abdullah Steinberg. <laughs> Buys Afro Sheen wholesale. Right? <laughs> Where's your yarmulke tilted to the side? <laughs> you were the youngest comic to get a stand-up slot on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. How on earth did that happen? Wow, that was 44 years ago. That's insane. I had, I had hair then, clearly. I, yes. <laughs> you know, uh, I started doing stand-up comedy when I was 14 years old at the Comedy Store. And uh, it was great. They had the Monday night tryout. And one night, uh, Jim McCauley saw me. Uh, Johnny Carson's uh, talent coordinator. He also offered me the show. I was 17 at the time, and I turned him down. And my mother said, why? Why'd you turn him down? I said, you know what? Uh, I'm not doing this uh, just to do it one time. This is a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And so I did it a couple of weeks before I graduated from high school, and uh, it, it was a lot of fun. I had a great time. Let's talk about your mom, because she was a tour guide at the NBC studios in Burbank, yeah. and for a while... I think around the time that you're 13, you would hang out at the studios after school because your mom couldn't afford childcare. And <laughs> is it true that you would wait in the parking lot for Johnny Carson to arrive? Yeah, my mother, she was giving tours. She went to UCLA and got her master's degree in cinema TV production. And she went around town asking for jobs. And she went to NBC and said, can I get a job here? And they said, no, we don't have a job for you. And she said, uh, do you have an intern program where I can work for free? And they said, no. And then she asked a question that changed our lives forever. She said, will you please start one with me? And they said, yes. And uh, she got a job as a tour guide and later in publicity and marketing. And I used to go out there to NBC and, and hang out waiting for my mother to get off work. And but, I'm just but is it true around. that you would wait for Johnny Carson? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I would wait. I would go from studio to studio. I would watch, uh, I would watch Bob Hope do his specials, and right. I would watch Red Fox tape Sanford and Son. Then I go across the hall and watch Flip Wilson do the Flip Wilson show, and I watch Freddie Prince and Jack Albertson do their show, and Johnny Carson tape his show. And I used to go and wait for him to pull into his parking spot, and I say, "Hello, Mr. Carson. Good to see you." And probably over a three or four year period, he got to know my name and say, "Thank you, Byron," because I would. I would give him feedback on his jokes. I'd say, I like that joke last night. That was very funny what you said the other night, Mr. Carson. This was funny. And he appreciated that. And uh, I would always just make sure I was, I wasn't stalking him, but I was close by. <laughs> and we had a good time. Right. Well, you, you learn fast because as you say, at 14, 
14 years of age, you're doing stand-up at the comedy store, and you were so good that you end up getting hired to write jokes for Jimmy Walker, the, yeah. the, uh, uh, the, the famous dynamite guy from Good, good Times. Time. Yeah. And you end up working along with a couple of fellows named, and again, you're 14 years old, Jay Leno and David Letterman. So how was all that? It was great. Uh, I went on stage at the comedy store, and this guy comes up to me. He says, who wrote those jokes? I said, I did. And he goes, listen, can I get your phone? Let me just interrupt for one second, because that's you on the right, (laughs) just a kid, JJ, uh, Jimmy Walker in the back, and then with absurdly short pants, David Letterman there in the center. (laughs) That's David Letterman. And across from me is Marty Natler, who went on to write and produce Laverne and Shirley in Happy Days. And right next to him is Jay Leno. We don't see his chain. Yeah, you don't see that. <laughs> and so, yeah, I would go, that's Jimmy's apartment in 1975. So, so but I mean, you're a kid. Yeah. They're men. Yes. I mean, it, did they treat you as an equal or? Well, you know, it's so funny. When Jimmy called me up uh, on the phone, he goes, man, I speak to Byron. And I go, speaking, he goes, my man, Wayne Klein, says you're funny. And if my man, Wayne Klein, says you're funny, you must be funny. Do you want to come right with me and my boys? I said, well, let me ask my mom. <laughs> he was like, what? You have to ask his mom. And this guy goes, well, tell his mother not to worry. We'll have cookies and milk for him. <laughs> and, and, and I heard Jimmy go, be nice, Dave, be nice. So I asked my mom, she let me go by. The guy who said cookies and milk, it was David Letterman. So I go into Jimmy's apartment. I'm sitting there, all these unbelievable, talented writers and comedians. And that's when we learned the art of comedy, the art of writing comedy material and making people laugh. I was getting $25 a joke. I ended up quitting my paper route. I think I was throwing the Herald Examiner where I was getting half a penny a paper. And Jay and Dave, they were on staff making 200 bucks a week. Uh, Jay was sleeping in his car and David was in a little studio apartment across the street from the comedy So what did you learn? I mean, to the degree that you can almost give us a mini class, what did you learn about the art of writing a joke? You know what? Fewer words, the better. And with every question, there's a funny answer and really look at things differently. Go deeper, peel the onion, peel the onion, go deeper into it and really study it. Find that humor, even in tragedy, find it. Find a way to laugh at the pain. And uh, it was great. It was just amazing to sit down for, you know, night after night with the best comedy minds for generations. It was just unbelievable. I was really blessed to have that opportunity. It was graduate school. It was graduate school. All right, folks may also remember you because you used to travel the country doing offbeat stories for a a, a show that got to be quite popular called Real People on NBC, 8 o'clock on Wednesday nights. Let's take a look. What do you want to tell me? Tell me what you're doing. You, you'll see. Ever since high school, Ben has entertained thousands of people and party goers around Utah with the walking, whistling belt. He made a great lifestyle. <laughs> I mean, you imagine breaking in and looking at this? All I knew was that I was more shook than that zero. So at what point, Byron, and it may have been the point when you were riding the bucking bronco, and it may have been the point at which, or the whatever that is, a uh, bull, or, or it may have been the point at which you're upside down in the plane. At what point did you realize that you were more interested in being in the business side of show business than the show side of show business? You know, I realized early on that it was not show business, it was business show. And I had to juxtapose those two words and really study 
the business and approach it as a business. And that's when everything changed for me. It really happened quickly. When I did The Tonight Show uh, with Johnny, I got a number of offers. And one of them was real people. And I really got to see America. And America is not LA, New York, it's everything in between. And that was just an eye opener for me. But I also realized I didn't control my destiny. And I wanted to have control over my destiny. So I made it a point to get to know all the people who owned and operated the television stations around the country and all the major advertisers. And I knew if I brought those two together, I could do as many shows as I wanted. Okay, so let's fast forward to now. You are now the chairman and the sole owner of the Allen Media Group. Uh, Let's tick off some of the assets for folks that may not be familiar with the Allen Media Group. How many television stations have you got around the country? I think I have about 27 ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox affiliates around the country. So I I own the ABC affiliate in Hawaii and the NBC affiliate in Tucson and on and on and on. So that's a great business. We love that. How many uh, cable channels and streaming platforms do you have? I think I have about 14 cable networks at this point and probably half a dozen streaming assets. The Griot, Local Now, the Weather Channel streaming app direct to the consumer, uh, the Weather Channel in Espanol. The cable networks, we have you know, everything from comedy.tv to Justice Central to the Weather Channel. It's, uh, it's one of the largest privately held media companies in the world. And uh, it started at the, ni- at the dining room table 30 years ago. Can you put a dollar figure to all of that? Oh, what it's worth? Yeah. Well, I, wouldn't, I would never sell it. I'm not interested in selling it. Um, I'm here to build the world's biggest media company. Yeah, I want to ask you about this, but I mean, give me a sense of it's, what it's worth. It's worth billions. I mean, it brings in quite a bit of money. It's privately held. Uh, I'm very fortunate. (laughs) I will say that I am very fortunate. You know, I'm in the national and local news business. And the national and local news business is a great business. You're gonna always need that news information. You're gonna need the weather information. You're gonna need local news, national news. And uh, yeah, the company is, uh, it's it's worth quite a bit. How do you go from being that 18, 19-year-old kid we see on, the, on Johnny Carson uh, with Jimmy Walker, a young, very talented, promising comedian to a media mogul. How does that happen? You know what? I think a lot of the same skills I use as a comedian I use in business, just being honest and being open, transparent. Uh, people are comfortable with you. And I have a mission, and that mission was clear. You know, when uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated in April of 68, it was that was something that was uh, quite traumatic for the whole country. And I got to know Martin Luther King's widow, the true queen of America, Coretta Scott King. And she taught me a lot. And she said to me, you know, Byron, as black people in this country, we had four major challenges. Number one, end slavery. Number two, end Jim Crow. Number three, achieve civil rights. And then she choked up and she said, and number four, the real reason they killed my Martin, achieve economic inclusion. And she said, Byron, they didn't kill my Martin over the speech, I have a dream. They killed him over the speech he gave in February of 68 at Stanford University, The Other America, where he said there are two Americas, and one America has access to opportunity, education, and economic inclusion, and the other America doesn't. There are two Americas, and one America will not survive. And from that point on, I decided that I was going to dedicate my life to building the world's greatest media company to help effectuate change for the greater good and to achieve one America. Let's let's drill down on race, because the reason that you are the sole 100 percent owner of this very major media group, the the Allen Media Group, 
is, among other things, you say, because in the first decade or so, you couldn't get an investor and you couldn't get a bank loan. That's right. And, and you have said that the biggest trade deficit in this country is between white corporate America and black America. Absolutely. That is the biggest trade deficit. And that's what Martin Luther King Jr. taught us. And we have to close that trade deficit to achieve one America. You have corporations out here, you know, like McDonald's. They're taking in over $100 billion a year in revenue and out of 39,000 stores. And they do very little business with black America, which is why they have all of these lawsuits. Uh, well, I want to talk to you about that because you are now suing... McDonald's <clears throat> yes. for $10 billion yes. on, on the issue of race discrimination. That's what, exactly. what's, the, what's the case? The case is real simple. I mean, it's a $10 billion lawsuit that the judge has said could go forward because I said, look, McDonald's, you're taking in over $100 billion a year in revenue. 40% of that, approximately 40% of that is coming from the African-American consumer, and you're spending less than $3 million a year in advertising with black-owned media out of a budget that's uh, a billion six. And that's just, you know, that's not right. And uh, there's a lot of problems there. You have to close that trade deficit and do business with us the way we're doing business with you. And what I've always said is that once you, do, once you bring balance to the system, everything will, will be much better. And when you look at McDonald's and you look at you know, the fact that they've been sued by the black franchisees, they've been sued by the black executives, they've been sued by the black employees, it's appalling. But... Eh? but- I, I, I'm not saying that what they're doing and failing to give money to the black community is ab- not give, not give. I mean, Chris. No, no, do but, business, but do business, right? Do no, business all right, with. I understand. Not give. No, because I, I, I really I think it. it's important. That's the thing I want white corporate America to understand. Black America, we're not a charity. We are a business. No, I fully understand that. Sure. It was a bad choice of words on my part. No, I got you. But, but, I, I can understand that it's not admirable that McDonald's isn't doing business. That's right. But don't they have a right to say, as a private business, hey, we want to do business with this cable channel? We don't want to do business with that cable channel. I mean, isn't that... Not really. You need to do business with the people who do business with you. And you just can't continue to discriminate. You have to close that trade deficit. But, but See, I, here's the thing I, I, I can, always wait, say. Wait, I can understand the morality of that. No, no, but here's but, what I want to say. But why is that a matter for a court to decide? Oh, absolutely, it's a matter because it's in violation of the Civil Rights Act of 1866, Section 1981. This was a law that was put on the books to make sure that African Americans had economic inclusion with government and corporate contracting. It is a law. It's a law on the books. And what I would say to white America is this simple thing. We have to bring this balance that Martin Luther King taught us. We keep talking about crime, 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 crime. And what I would say to white America, before we talk about crime, let's lean in and let's fix education and let's bring balance in the way of economic inclusion. And if we lean in and fix those two things, education and economic inclusion, most of the crime will go away. You won't even know what to do with your prisons. You'll use them as fulfillment houses. But we keep talking about crime. What I say is, look, you have to look at me as the Caucasian whisperer. (laughs) I'm here to help you be better, Chris. This is how we get it better. This is how we do it. All right, let me ask you, because you have filed a number of these multi-billion dollar lawsuits on the basis of racial discrimination. One of them was against the cable companies, Charter and Comcast. In that case, went all the way to the Supreme Court before there was a settlement. What was that about? 
Well, yes, you know, it was real simple. Uh, you know, the Obama administration came to me and they asked me, they said, these companies are trying to get bigger. Are they doing business? Uh, are they good corporations? And I said at the time, I said, I do not believe so. They don't do business with us the way we do business with them. I said, what you have is you have a bunch of cable networks that, you know, women do not own their cable networks. They're not able to control their image and likeness and how they're produced. Uh, Asian people pretty much don't even exist in this country. You got a bunch of white guys who own Spanish language networks and they can't even speak Spanish. And the networks targeting black people are not owned by black people. We don't have a real seat at the table and we don't control our image, our likeness and how we're produced and seen. Gay people do not own their networks. They should own their networks and control their image. So what and were you suing Comcast and Charter for? I sued them and I just said, you're not providing economic inclusion and distribution. So that went all the way to the Supreme Court and I had a great time. I had a great time with the process and uh, it all got settled. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It was, just, it was about, look, it was probably a six year journey and cost me tens of millions of dollars, but I knew the only way I could correct the system was to use this, which was available to me. Not the race card, the legal card. Now, what's interesting here, Chris, is 50 billion in lawsuits against the biggest corporations in the world, and I'm undefeated. It's not just big corporations you go after, Byron. Yeah, you also right. have had some run-ins. You mentioned Barack Obama with him. In 2015, yep. after the riots in Baltimore, That's after right. Freddie Gray died in police custody, yep. in custody yep. the president called out the people who looted the streets and called them criminals and thugs. That's right. That's and right. here's what you said. You said this. President Obama is, at this point, a white president in blackface. That's right. Black America would have done much better with a white president. That's right. Bright, Barack Obama, a white president in blackface? That's exactly right. I said that, and I still stand by that. And what I said was very loud and clear. He criticized those young black kids in Baltimore for the wrongful death of Freddie Gray. No, no, he didn't. He criticized them because they looted the stores. Okay, they looted the stores. And what I said to them is, I am not condoning violence. But before you criticize them, position them to succeed, not fail. Don't criticize them until you get them a proper education. Yeah, but don't. The, well, let the, me just wait. There's a middle of a, you're in the middle of a riot. I, he well, can't sit there and change society. I understand, but Chris, you got to understand something. Why are they positioned like this? You need to address the bigger issue. These kids are sitting there, and they're positioned to fail. No proper education, no jobs, no economic inclusion, and by the way. It was the wrongful death. And at a certain point, you have to understand, people are speaking out because they are being abused. This is genocide. It's just a slow genocide, but it is genocide. Look at all of these murders. Look at all of these wrongful deaths. The other issue I had with Obama, and I was really clear with him. We had a chat about it, the two of us, we talked. I said, number one, I need you to audit the banks. And I need you to see that the banks are not lending money to black people so we can get home loans, car loans, and what did, student loans, and what did Barack business Obama loans. Say to that? Oh, we can talk about it. We could talk. I said, no, we can't keep talking about it. We got to do something. And then the second thing I said I need from you, President Obama, 
The government has over a trillion dollars in government worker pension fund money, over a T. Not one penny managed by black people or invested in black people. Now, I was openly critical of saying you need to address these two things and that will help to open and close this. And, and did he do either? He didn't do either one of them. Under Obama's administration, unemployment for black America went up and went down for white America and home and homeownership hit a 25 year low. Homeownership under his administration. Those are the numbers. So, and, and, and by the which, way, I don't, blame, the nat- I don't blame Obama for all of that. I also say that we as African-Americans, we didn't do a good job of advocating for ourselves. So are you and, and uh, former President Obama in contact with each other? We're not in contact, but I have all the respect in the world for him. Listen, you have to understand something. The president of the United States is nothing more than temporary hired help. That person is there to serve us and to work for us. And you have to constantly remind them, you're here because I need you to take care of something. I also kind of blame us as a community, as black people. What did we ask for? And we got nothing. And so, but I was clear about my ask. Audit the banks and see if we have access to capital that's not predatory. And make sure that we're participating in the government worker pension fund that's over a trillion dollars. We have to close that trade deficit. And I'm enjoying what I'm doing because we're making progress here, Chris. We're making progress. All right. A couple of final questions. Earlier this year, you made a bid to buy the Denver Broncos. Yes. You ended up losing, no shame there, to the Walton family, the family that owns Walmart. Yes. You say it's important for you to buy and and for an an African-American to own an NFL team. Absolutely. Absolutely. We can't just play the game. We have to own the game. <laughs> we have to own it. We can't just play it. And so, you know, to Roger Goodell's uh, credit, Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, mm-hmm. and Bob Kraft, the owner of the, uh, uh, the Patriots, they came to me. I was, they came and they said, can we talk to you? I said, sure. This was in November of 2019. They said, we need you to help us achieve a goal that's long overdue. And I said, what's that? They said the ownership of an African, uh, the ownership of an NFL team by an African American. We've never achieved that, and this is important. And we will lean in, and we'll help you do it. I said okay, and they said do us a favor, stay close to the Denver Broncos. Uh, we think that will become available, and I stayed close, and I went through the process. We made it to the second round. Our bid was four and a half billion, and the Walmart family stepped it up to four billion six fifty. And I have to tell you. For us, for me, it was a great process. I learned a lot, and other teams will become available over the next Are you going to end up owning an NFL team? I'm going to aggressively pursue an NFL team until we get one. I want to bring this full circle because I read somewhere that you said there's a a connection, a transferable skill between being a comedian and being a big businessman. That's right. And that, you know, a comedian has to be able to read the room, and a businessman has to be able to look and see business opportunities. That's right, Henry Ford said it best, opportunities are never lost. Your competitors will always find it. And you have to be in the moment, and you have to be flexible, you have to bob and weave. Look, I, starting my company from my dining room table 30 years ago, with a telephone and, and a chair and a desk, and my mom was working with me, and Joan Robbins, my talent booker, that was it. Now I have approximately 2,300 employees. I probably had, to creatively solve 50 to 100 different challenges every day. 
when I was calling television stations, they stopped taking my phone calls. They would not return my phone calls. I was trying to sell my television show. So even the receptionist recognized my voice. So I disguised my voice, called the receptionist and say, hey, can I go to the newsroom? Will you transfer me to the newsroom? And they transferred me to the newsroom. And then I said, oh, I didn't mean to call you. Can you transfer me to the general manager's office? Right. 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 And there you go. And when the general manager saw that the newsroom was calling, they picked up the phone. I was like, hey, Bob. Do I have a television show for you? Okay. That's how I had, I literally called all 1,300 television stations in the country. And after getting about 50,000 no's, I got 150 yeses. And that was, you know, now we have about 70 shows on and blah, 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 blah. But I had to creatively solve hundreds of challenges every day. And that's part of being, uh, you know, a comedian and an entrepreneur. Byron Allen, this has been a pleasure. Thank Listen, you, if you end up my boss... Be gentle with me, okay? <laughs> I will always be nice to you. I am a fan, and you are a good man. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Byron. Thank you, Chris. Byron Allen's reach across the media landscape continues to grow. He recently sealed a deal with CBS stations to bring HBCU sports coverage of black college football games to almost two-thirds of households in this country. Thanks for watching. Catch us every Sunday night on CNN. And keep streaming anytime you want right here on HBO Max to find out who's talking next. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii.